Good morning. Before we go to God in the word of scripture, let us go before our God in prayer. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, come. Come be in this place. Sit next to us on this pew. Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our minds that we might hear what you would have for us this day. Amen. So this morning's scripture text comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. And if you want to follow along, it's in your Red Pew Bible on page 1830. Listen now to this word from God. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. The word of God for the people of God. Do not worry about anything. But worrying is part of the fabric of human life, isn't it? You can probably sit here and think of the most recent thing you fretted over or are currently consumed by. And if you can't remember what had you twisted up, you will likely encounter some reason to be anxious on your way home from church, if not before that. And if you don't, just flip on the news. What's kind of amazing to me about worrying is that our minds don't ever stop searching the horizon line for danger. And yet, worrying about that perceived danger does absolutely nothing to ensure our safety. Noticing the black bear just off the hiking path is, however, helpful. Being attentive can save your life, or at least the peanut butter sandwich in your backpack. But how enjoyable would it be to embark on the trail totally preoccupied with a possible bear sighting? How present and receptive are you to that funky leaf or the sounds of a trickling stream or the hot green curly moss on the rocks. When all you're focused on and worried about is your hasn't happened yet but could at any moment bear encounter. Would you feel relief after you get back to the parking lot intact and bearless? Certainly, but you've just effectively robbed yourself of communing with creation because you were so busy being terrified of a hypothetical. 
But it was real, that worry. It gripped your body and your neural pathways with an intensity it seems impossible to ignore or release. How do you stop worrying when your worrying is controlling you? Paul tells us that it is twofold. One, pray and let God know what's got your goat. Two, think on things that bring justice, purity, and love. We can find reasons to worry all day, every day. There is fuel for fear literally around every corner. That girl sitting next to me sneezed her germs all over me, and now I'm going to be sick for the holidays. Hurricane XYZ is out in the Atlantic, brewing and strengthening, so I refresh the spaghetti projections every hour on the National Hurricane Center website. I got angry, and I said a thing I wish I could take back, but I can't, so it's all I'm thinking about. Inflation is taking our bank account by storm. Compulsive computing just leaves me miserable. My child gets on a bus every day, and I leave it to a practical stranger to drive him around. The test results I was hoping and praying were negative came back positive. It opens the floodgates for obsessive research and fretting. Consciously or not, we are constantly expending energy trying to worry our way into a state of peace. Why else would we do it? It feels productive somehow to spin out all the possibilities. It's like we're preparing ourselves. But what it really is, is a blockade. Our shield of anxiety stands smack in between us and God. Nothing cuts us off from God faster than grumbling or self-pity, indulging in regrets, criticizing or judging. There's a story that Emmett Fox tells of a man who was working in his garden. His little girl was helping him. She was attempting to water the lawn with a rubber hose. All was going swimmingly until she cried out with a yelp of disappointment, Daddy, the water has stopped. The father looked over and chuckled. Well, he said gently, take your foot off the hose. The little girl looked down and realized that her foot and most of her weight were crushing the soft rubber pipe. By her own action, she had shut off the water she needed. She removed her foot at once and the water started to flow again. Five minutes later, she cried out with concern, Daddy, the water has stopped again. Her dad glanced up from his weeding. Well, take your foot off. She did. Again, the water became unstuck and filtered into the garden. Fox wisely puts his finger on the crux of our troubles. We press our feet and the whole weight of our mentality on the pipeline of life. And then we complain bitterly when there's no water. God's love is limitless and available to us all the time, but we have to willingly get out of the way and let it work on us. When we are scared or angry or anxious, the creative flow of the divine becomes dammed up like the water in the hose. Without realizing it, 
over and over again, we throw our weight around and it leaves us high and dry, pun intended. Here's the question for me though. What does easing our foot off the metaphorical hose of life look like? Paul gives us the answer in the book of Philippians. Scholars often refer to this letter as the epistle of joy, as it contains joy or rejoice 16 times in only four chapters. It's no accident that Paul tells the church at Philippi to rejoice. Then he reminds them not to worry and promises that the God of peace will stand guard over their hearts. God's got this. Remembering God's got this is the precursor to peace. It's pretty fascinating, really. Rejoicing keeps us busy. It distracts us from our full-time job of drumming ourselves up into upset. Paul knows this only too well. He is coaching the Philippians on how he himself is able to find peace in the jail cell from which he writes to them. How does Paul avoid despair and panic? How does he not picture over and over what might be laying ahead of him in his future? He gets out a pen and paper, or papyrus, and he tells his fellow church members how grateful he is for them. He thanks them for their ministry. He reminds them that Jesus is closer than they know. He intentionally places his mind on things that are true, pure, and life-giving. He places his energy on building others up. He taps into joy by turning his mind to how well God takes care of him. So it's easy to say to someone, it's going to be okay, don't worry about it. Don't let that scare you, you'll be fine. But it doesn't exactly work this way, especially when you're the one hearing it. So I have this experience every week before I preach. I sit down, I pray, I open my laptop to write, and self-doubt emanates from the screen in my direction like that blinking cursor that's waiting for me. I look right back at it, and then I smile knowingly. Oh, this is the part where I freak out that I'll fall on my face or have nothing to say, or worse, say the wrong thing. I have come to think of it as my endearing neurosis. Maybe you have some too, some predictable pattern of second-guessing what God gave you. When I'm in a good place, I remember to take my foot off the hose. Nothing about this scripture or this sermon is mine, nor is it about me. It may speak to me and work on me and God willing flow through me, when I get with the program, it's simply an exhaling into my God who is in charge. Then sermon writing gets downright enjoyable once I'm free, once I brush my finger against peace. So practicing joy is not to be confused with shallow optimism. It isn't a masquerade featuring Pollyanna phrases that smack of denial of reality. It isn't a naivety that only sees the sunny side of life. 
Practicing joy is actively giving what's God's over to God through thick and through thin. And then it's enjoying the sensation of not carrying the weight of the world on our shoulders. It isn't bubbly happiness or champagne-like cheer. It isn't a bottle of ice-cold Coke on a hot summer's day. Joy doesn't fizz and then fizzle. It doesn't evaporate. It lasts. Joy isn't happiness. Joy is a lifting of our foot off the hose of Christ's provision. It's a tapping into the stream of living water that never runs dry. When I think back to my growing up years in the church, I remember Miss Mary, the organist, who let me touch my toe to the organ pedal so I could feel that vibrating bass of the low notes. I remember Miss Ruby, who used felt Bible characters, you might remember those with the bumpy blackboard, to demonstrate the stories of Moses, Zacchaeus, Daniel. I remember Miss Ruth, who would give me hard candies during worship, sometimes cinnamon, but other times I would hit the jackpot with those Werther's original butterscotch. I remember Melissa and Whitney and Nat teaching us youth how to pick up trash on the highway, how to dance barefoot with Honduran children, how to ask hard questions of our faith without shame, only love. And here's the wild part. The faithful women and men who were pouring into us church kids had life happening to them. They were going through divorces, declaring bankruptcy, losing parents and children. They were going through midlife crises and parenting troubled youth. They were grappling with their own doubts and fears, suffering chronic pains and the inconveniences of aging. When I realized with adult eyes that these dependable, smiling faces, these beacons of the gospel in my life, were simultaneously falling on their knees before the mercy and love of Jesus Christ, I just about couldn't process the weight of it, the beauty of it. That while they walked through happiness or were gutted by their hardships, they showed up Sunday after Sunday after Sunday to teach us about how much God loves us. With honesty and trust, they spread the good news. Choosing contentment is easy in the good times, but can feel out of reach entirely in the tragic times. We reserve the right to feel crushed by life and have our moments of deflation and grief. Finding joy and hope doesn't mean negating the heart and plastering on a big smile. It means allowing God through the church community to lift you up in the current of its faith, carrying you along while you feel your feels and find your new normal. And eventually, the pain fades and the hard-earned wisdom of having lived to the other side of it grants you the joy of helping another person go through the same thing on down the road. There are plenty of reasons one could be anxious at St. Simon's Presbyterian Church. 
if you thought about it for a minute. In a year and a half, you have said goodbye to a head pastor and an associate pastor. You have trudged through the tough work of self-evaluation as a congregation. And you have been waiting, waiting patiently for word on the new hire of leaders. You have been praying, and then you have been waiting some more. But if we do what Paul encourages, if we pause right here, right where our foot is beginning to press down, threatening to suffocate our connection to God, we pause and we think on what is true, on what is honorable, what is pure. St. Simon's Presbyterian is worshiping with hearts open and hands outstretched. Congregational care teams are feeding members, praying at bedsides, writing handwritten letters, Paul would be proud, and showering one another with love and casseroles. The day of service is bursting at the seams with attendees, all of whom are overflowing with enthusiasm for local ministry projects. In a financial crunch of a time, SSPC is faring well, and we are a generous church. In a season where mainstream churches are losing members, we are welcoming new faces to our pews. We are belting out hymns in a fresh light sanctuary. Ada's ads are full of color and life, inviting us in to fellowship, study, eat, and serve. Try something new is always up to some hilarious adventure. Sunday schools are digging into the word of God. Young adults are having dinners together. Nursery and children's ministry attendance is through the roof. The youth are engaged and excited. Y'all, the list keeps going. Choir delivers spirited anthems and poignant cantatas. The PNC gather faithfully each week to do the intense work of reflection, interviews, and discernment. Thank the next member you see profusely. Hands and Heart Sewing Ministry is placing handmade blankets and quilts into the laps of the sick and the saddened. Mission and outreach teams are launching a new rotation of dinners to feed the homeless at Salvation Army. Pals are mentoring at local schools. Ushers are greeting with warmth and love. Steve is preaching with an authenticity that is refreshing and fun. We eat together in the social hall and in the sanctuary partaking of our Lord Jesus Christ and gleaning sustenance from him and from one another. In the face of such selfless ministry and loving hospitality, it would be almost ridiculous to do anything other than rejoice. I'll say it again like Paul does, seriously, rejoice. St. Simon's Prez is flourishing with God's provision Inevitably, there, we will have moments of self-pity like the Israelites in the wilderness. But in these times, think on what is true and what is real and what is pleasing. What is transpiring on this little patch of Kingsway is the result of genuine joy. Not the fuzzy feeling that erupts and then subsides. This joy doesn't even hinge on procuring the perfect for us pastor though that will certainly be nice. 
It's the joy of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in all things gave his worries over to his God. The joy that snuggles in next to gratitude and never, ever fades. Amen.